We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16 and continuing through verse 21. And I've titled this morning's message, pretty simple, Ambassadors of the King. Ambassadors of the King. We often think of ourselves as citizens of these United States of America, and we should But we have an even higher calling than that. If we know Christ, if we belong to God by faith, we are His ambassadors. And we're going to consider that this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us, meaning the church, all of us, the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Would you pray with me? God, help us to understand the, the high calling the great privilege that we have to be mouthpieces for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, I ask that you would move, that you would work by your Holy Spirit in the moments to come. Lord, I'm just a man, but you've given us your word. I pray, God, that you would enable me to communicate clearly what it is that you have said and that your spirit would be pleased to bring glory and honor to Christ by breaking sin patterns where they need to be broken, by increasing boldness for the gospel where it needs to be increased, and by reminding us, God, of the the perspective that no matter what comes on Tuesday of this week, we know that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen. In Paul's on-again, off-again relationship with the church at Corinth, we get a number of letters. Two of them are included for us in Scripture. He includes reference to a few other letters that he's written, which apparently may have been so heated that they didn't get preserved with Paul's other letters. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul is again having some challenges in his relationship with the church at Corinth. There are some people who have risen up, Against him, verse 12 tells us that they are taking pride in appearance and not in heart. And Paul addresses this by reminding Corinth, as he does time and time again, of the gospel, of why Christ died for them in the first place, to free them from living for themselves, and what his death means for them, that he is the king and we are his ambassadors. Real life, Paul wants us to understand, and real harmony in the body of Christ comes when we lay aside ourselves and our preferences and our prerogatives and we instead cling to Christ and live for Him. 
You know, all the petty squabbles of church life and all the petty squabbles of life in general seem to recede when we really lay hold of the glory of living for not ourselves, but for Christ the King. This is what Paul wants to remind the church of Corinth that the church of Corinth of, but it is also it also has implications for us today here in the 21st century in America as we think about the implications of the gospel for our church and for our ministry to the watching world. In verses 14 and 15, Paul presents Christ's saving death as an act of power and lordship performed out of his love for all humanity. Christ's death and his resurrection then are for a purpose so that we might no longer live for ourselves but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. It's interesting to me in verse 14 Paul writes the love of Christ controls us. We don't often think about love being something which controls but Paul says the love that God showed to us in Christ in sending his one and only son to be broken for us, to give his life for us, that kind of self-sacrificing love has a controlling effect in our lives. The love of God proves the authority that he has in our lives. As we look to the cross and see what God did for us there, the love is so moving and so compelling and so constraining that we can't help but want to give our lives for the one who loved us so much that he left the glory of heaven to lay aside his life and redeem us. So this morning, I, I want to submit to you that we see two things in verses 16 through 21 that we ought to be doing as the church who has encountered the love and the authority of Christ in the gospel. If we've truly encountered the love and the authority of Christ in the gospel, if Christ really is our king, there's two things we must do. First, we must see all others through the lens of their need for reconciliation with God. And secondly, we must be faithful ambassadors, urging the world to be reconciled to God, and get this, and we ourselves living the reconciled life. First, we must see all others through the lens of their need for reconciliation with God. We find this in verses 16 through 19. The word, therefore, is how we begin verse 16. I had a grade school Sunday school teacher who always told me, whenever you see the word therefore, ask what it is therefore. The word therefore follows verses 14 and 15 where Paul in summary fashion reminds us of the gospel that God died for us and he lived for us in Christ and if that is true of us we have a new way of living, a new perspective. Because of the new perspective we have on life given to us in the gospel, because of what Christ has done in giving us new life, we recognize no one according to the flesh from now on. In other words, we don't see people the way the world sees people. The word from the world's perspective or according to the flesh rather means from the world's perspective or we don't measure people the way that the world measures people by their education, their income, their life experience or even their political affiliations. We look at everyone as someone for whom Christ died and someone who needs to know the joy of being reconciled to God. The word recognize in verse 16 means to see or to perceive. In Christ, Zephyr says, we gain a radically new understanding of others. 
and not even a heated national election with significant consequences for the future of our country should change the way we see all others because look at this in verse 16 we see this way from now on you see that there in the text from now on this is the way we recognize others which means guess what we don't get a time out from a gospel perspective for election season or for any other reason this this means that when you drive up into your driveway and you see that sign of the opposing political party in the yard across the street and it drives you crazy you still don't get permission to see that neighbor as someone other than one for whom Christ died this means that as much as I love Virginia Tech that I I still need to see UVA fans as misguided as they are as someone for whom Christ died and the reality is we, we can very easily fall into the pattern of allowing ourselves to go back to measuring people the way the world measures people. They look like me, they talk like me, they, they come from the same background, the same town, they have the same family values, whatever it is. But regardless, we don't look at people that way anymore. We look at them from now on as ones who need to be reconciled to God. Zephyr writes this, where the gospel is at work, it brings an entirely new understanding of God and the world. In Christ, human minds and hearts and thinking are made new and different. They are created new. In other words, when we get the gospel, North Roanoke, when we really comprehend and we really understand what God has done for us through Jesus, we get a whole new set of glasses through which we see the world. I remember the first time I was in an amusement park and I got the 3D glasses. And you know, the amusement park rides with the 3D glasses where you sit in the chair and all this video is going on. You put the glasses on and it makes it feel like it's right up around you. 3D glasses are pretty awesome. But the gospel glasses are more revolutionary even than 3D glasses because the 3D glasses simply enhance the existing experience. But the gospel lenses do something different altogether. When you put on the lenses of the gospel, you don't even see people the way you saw them before. It's the same person, but rather than seeing them in all the categories that the world tells you to see them in, well, it's a guy or a gal, it's a professor or a doctor or a carpenter or a construction worker or whatever else, you don't see those categories. You you don't regard them as those according to the flesh. You simply see them as people for whom Christ died. We see our political enemies then not as our enemies, but as neighbors who need Christ. Because Christ has overturned our understanding of the world. We see the world around us as a world that needs Jesus. Some of Paul's opponents apparently were bragging about seeing Christ or having mystical experiences of the risen Christ. Paul had encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, but he has no interest in comparing who has the greatest Jesus experience. You see at the second half of verse 16, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. He is risen, he is ascended, he's at the right hand of the Father, and Paul's focus rests on our reception of Christ our knowledge of him by the power of his saving word we no longer know Christ as mere teacher or miracle worker or moral ideal and example we know Christ as the one who substituted himself for us so that we might live for him and we know him 
because he's made us new in himself. Do you see that in verse 17? Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. The word creation there doesn't refer simply to the person, but to the whole world in which the person lives and inhabits. The creator of the universe who spoke the world into existence by that same sort of power recreates you when you come to Christ into a whole new being with new categories to, to receive and be known by God himself. How bad off were we before we knew Christ? How rebellious were we against our maker? We were so bad off that reconciliation with God required more than just forgiveness. It took more than God just saying, well, I'm not going to worry about your sin anymore. He had to make us into a new creation through his own death and his own resurrection. Restoring to us, giving to us capacities to be connected to God. Obedience to God requires more than a new motivation or a fresh dedication of ourselves. It requires that we become new in Christ. Do you understand the difference? But belonging to Christ isn't walking an aisle, saying a prayer, and then going back to the exact same life that you had before. It is being made new in Christ. And praise God, this new creation is something that is available to anyone. Look at verse 17. If anyone, it's like a, an invitation by the Lord himself. If anyone, no matter how wicked, depraved, or rebellious you may have been, if anyone lays down their sin and takes on the life of Christ, God makes him new and reconciles him to himself through Christ. Verses 18 and 19. To reconcile is a, it's a big word, it's a fancy word. To reconcile simply means to put in right relationship. In verse 18, we see that God gave us, meaning the church, meaning all believers, the ministry of reconciliation. We were the ones, by the way, who offended God. So who takes the initiative, typically, for restoring a relationship? Usually it's the one who makes the offense. We offended God, but God didn't wait on us to come clawing our ways back to God and saying, God, I need you. Instead, God came down in the person of Christ in order that we could be reconciled to him. This is the ministry that God has entrusted in to, to us, his church. Though the world or even a brother or a sister in Christ offend us because we have been reconciled by a God who didn't wait on us to come to him, we are the ones who have been commanded to go to our brothers and to our sisters and to the world with the ministry of reconciliation. You see, church, we are a community created by and sustained in God's reconciling power through Christ. What we have in common is communion with God and with one another. How is this possible? How is it that we who are fallen created beings can know God. It's possible because of what we find in verse 19. 
God keeps on not counting your sin against you. This verb is in the present tense, which in the Greek means that God doesn't just forgive the sins past, but the sins present and the sins future. He keeps on not counting your sin against you. Why? Because though your sin deserves the wages of death, the blood of Jesus stamped across your account says paid in full, bold access to the throne of God has been granted. And this marvelous hope of bold access to God, of being connected to God, is the message that God places in us. Verse 19, it, your translation might say entrusted to us or something like that. But the word literally is that he placed into his church the word of reconciliation in Christ. The sin that was on us is removed and the reconciling power of the gospel is placed into the community of believers to go boldly with that message until Christ comes again. God has given us the gospel. His word of reconciliation, the promise that anyone in Christ is a new creature capable of knowing and serving their eternal king. And that means North Roanoke Baptist Church, even on Tuesday and the days that come thereafter, we must see the world, even our political opponents, as those for whom Christ died and those who need to know the great joy of knowing and belonging to God. You see, the gospel changes the way we see the world. But secondly, the gospel gives us a different message to speak. It gives us the message of reconciliation, and we must therefore be faithful ambassadors urging the world to be reconciled to God and living the reconciled life. The need for faithfulness is implied in the text by two words or two concepts. The first is the word itself, ambassador. And the second is the one that we represent as his ambassador. We don't represent just a company manager or a company president or a governor. We represent the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The call to be an ambassador is the call to be appointed as a spokesperson to represent a king or a ruler or a community. And North Roanoke, we are a community of ambassadors representing not just any king, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. An ambassador's job is pretty simple. Say what you are sent to say. Kistemacher writes this, as soon as an ambassador utters his own opinion and speaks contrary to the intent of his government, he is relieved of his post. May we be a church, a company of ambassadors who does not need to be relieved of our post because we are proclaiming the word of reconciliation that God has so graciously entrusted to us. The king has given us a most urgent message, a message the entire world needs to hear. We must not let our frustration with those that we disagree with lead us to deny them an opportunity to see and to hear the only message that can set them free. I, I confess to you, there are people in this life that frustrate me. Are there people in your life that frustrate you? They just drive you crazy. They don't deserve whatever. I can't believe they're acting like this. Let's be real for a moment this morning. Can we be real for a moment this morning? There are people that just drive you nuts. 
I, I would rather not give them the gospel because they're not worth my time. I've got busier, more important things to do. And the reality is we have been charged to not see the world as the world sees people, but to see everyone, red and yellow, black and white, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian and Green Party and Greenpeace Party and whatever, World PE Party, I, whatever they are, they need Jesus. They need the hope of the gospel. And we need to allow Paul who's writing to a church that has, by the way, forgotten the gospel, the reconciling power of the gospel. We need to afresh allow ourselves to see ourselves as those who didn't deserve anything that we got from Christ. We don't deserve it any more than anybody else does. And they need the hope of the gospel. Atheist and magician Penn Gillette said this, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. The word proselytize simply means share the gospel. If you believe there's a heaven or a hell or that people could be going to hell or not get eternal life and you think it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Because Christ has died on behalf of the world, verse 15, we plead, beg, urge the world to be reconciled to God on behalf of Christ, verse 20. The word to plead or to beg or to urge is literally the word to bind something together. It's a word that's used in prayer sometimes that I've been so moved and so compelled by what God has done for me in Christ and what he's longing for the world to know that I want to bind lost people to the Savior who died for them. Whatever that takes in my prayer closet, whatever that takes in restructuring my family, whatever that takes in terms of restructuring where I go and what I say, God, I want to bind people with the word of reconciliation, lost people to Christ, that they might too be delivered. And our message as Christ's ambassadors is the message that he has placed in us. He's entrusted to us. According to Kistemacher, our commission as ambassadors is that of a manager. It's like that of a manager who's been entrusted with a treasure for which he must give periodic accounts to his employer. When I worked at Southeastern Seminary as a fundraiser, we had quarterly reporting. We would look at how many people you had visited and how much money had been raised and how we were doing compared to the year before because we had been entrusted with a message. We had been entrusted with the financial hopes of an institution and we were responsible for those things if if Christ were to come in this morning through the person of his spirit and he were to say it's time to it's time to account ambassador Daniel for how you've been handling the word of reconciliation what would what would Christ say what would he, what would he say of me what would he say of you what would he say of us and the seriousness with which we take this ministry that God has so graciously entrusted to us? 
You see, when we are tempted to give up on the world and people around us, we need to remember that we are ambassadors of a king who didn't give up on us. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't give up on you? There's a watching world out there that he's not yet given up on either, and he's using us to get the message there. As we go to the world as ambassadors of the king of kings, God actively makes his appeal through us. Do you see that in verse 20? As though God were making the appeal through us. When the ambassador is faithful to deliver the king's message, it isn't just the ambassador who's speaking. God himself speaks. And he assures that the message gets through, that the message we proclaim and the message we proclaim is this, be reconciled to God. But they won't be reconciled if we don't see ourselves as ambassadors sent to the world for the sake of Christ. You know, there's a lot of reasons for sharing the gospel. Some of us do it for a flash in the pan moment out of guilt. Well, Daniel preached a sermon on sharing the gospel, so I'm going to share the gospel 10 times this week, and then I never share it again. Guilt won't lead you to share the gospel for very long. You know what else won't lead you to share the gospel very long? Status. Well, we need to have a bigger church than the church down the road, so we're going to go share the gospel so we can be big rather than that Christ can be known. Status won't keep you sharing the gospel for very long. But when we are captivated by the glory of Christ, when we are living for the sake of the one who saved us and is sending us to others, and that alone is our motive, then look out, world, because God will be on the move, working his word of reconciliation through his surrendered ambassadors, bringing people to himself. But an ambassador needs to do more than just get the message right. And here's where I'm convinced the church in North America is going astray. It isn't enough to say the right things, to pray the right prayers, and to even speak the right words, and to have no regard for how we are living. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now, this refers to the fact that God, the moment we truly trust Christ, He gives us the righteousness of God through Jesus. But He doesn't stop there. He gives us the Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to grow up into Christ the head and to become more and more and more like the Christ who saves us. Which means that our lives should begin to look more like the life of Jesus. We should become less accepting of behaviors and thoughts and patterns and attitudes that don't bring glory and honor to Christ. And as we do that, that validates the message of reconciliation that we are speaking. The ambassador must wear the right uniform. He must wear the robes of the righteousness of Christ. In Romans verse, chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, Paul says this, Let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. The messenger, the ambassador of Christ, 
needs to not only speak the word of reconciliation, they need to live out the reconciled lives of righteousness that God makes possible through Christ. You see, we can't credibly call others to submit to an authority that our lives consistently deny. So North Roanoke Baptist Church, what does the world think of us? When the world sees us throughout the week, are we living a life that attracts like a moth to a flame people to the life that we have in Christ? Are our lives distinctive lives urging people to be reconciled to God or are we living just like the world? Because Christ redeemed us by taking upon himself the curse that rested on us. We've been freed of sin's power. We've been freed to live for Him, the very righteousness of God that we have in Him. So this Tuesday, it's just two days from now, and then all the political ads will be over. Glory to God. This Tuesday, as we go to the polls, and as we respond to the results in the days thereafter, Let's remember that the, what the world really needs is not a political savior. What the world really needs is to know the king of kings. And between this day and that day, they need faithful ambassadors of Christ, clothed in his righteousness, delivering the message of reconciliation for the sake of his glory in all the earth. What the world needs is to be reconciled to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you that our hope is not in the temporary things of this world, but in the everlasting things of your kingdom. And God, we confess to you this morning that there are times that we have neglected our responsibilities as those who have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Of those who have the one message the entire world needs to hear, that they can be reconciled to God, that the desperation, the hopelessness that they feel, the lack of purpose that they know can be overturned in Christ. So God, I pray that as we close our service this morning, that you would work as only you can, that you would remind us of the great responsibility of being your ambassadors. And for those who don't know you, God, that today might be the day of reconciliation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.